once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar, or Mike, Mike, and Quarantine, or Mike, and Mike's over there, and this Mike's over here. I'm not quite sure what the new name for this new reality that we're in is, but this is MMO. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also Mike in a moment, who is live from his abode, and I'm in my abode, and today we're going to try to go back to like the movie review thing that we're going to do, and what we're best known, most known for, but... Uh, uh, as we have Big Time Adolescence, the new Pete Davidson, Jason Orley movie that just debuted on Hulu. It was actually moved up a week. We're going to talk about all things with that movie having to do. But first, Mike, we have to talk about, again, unfortunately, what's going on with Corona. And how have you been handling your quarantine over there? A lot of nervous eating. Sounds right. Sure. <laughs> Cream puffs the other day was like a big thing. I had big Italian sandwiches. With, okay. a, with a G yep. in there. Uh, that, and I bought like extra sandwiches. Good. So I had sandwiches for lunch and mm-hmm. sandwiches for dinner. So you're on uh, a so health, the, you're on a diet on top of it too, it sounds like. I am on a uh, eat, seafood diet. Everything right. I see, I'm shoving in my mouth because I'm so terrified of everything out there. I think there's uh, an Edgar Wright movie poster from a while back, uh, The Man Who's Scared of Everything. Yeah. That's kind of how I am. I'm even scared of like, seeing you in person yeah i I appreciate that from you by the way because i mean of the two of us let's be honest the person that's going to catch this is not you first that's one thousand percent me even if i do not leave my house so uh you're just looking out for me by having us kind of stay away from each other and you don't want the guilt of being the one that i turn to and say you must have given this to me because i literally don't see other humans other than you that sound you heard at the beginning of Mike talking was me knocking on wood really hard <laughs> because, no, I don't want to get this. I think my health insurance probably sucks for this sort of thing. I know that everybody's saying that they're, they're not going to charge you for coronavirus care or charge premiums or whatever. But, I mean, just think about it. It's thousands of dollars if you get if – you, I mean, if you really have a health emergency in this country still, yeah. you know better than anybody. Yeah. It's, it costs so much. So, like, oh, my God, I just want to stay – quarantined myself uh so far i'm doing okay though i mean i'm i'm still got stuff to watch i was really happy that we have a better movie to review today when yeah. we get to it uh, i don't know about you are you starting to get, feel you know tinges of boredom yet or well this is my regular day to day so i'm just kind of <laughs> jealous that everyone else gets you know off when i when i'm off and now i we have to work when all the other offices are closed and i'm like that's not how this is supposed to go so but no i mean look seriously i i just i hope the same that everyone else hopes i hope this thing dies down quick enough that we can kind of return to normal here but from what i've seen we were talking about this before we hit record and the pre-production it looks like there's a lot of young people that aren't taking this seriously enough right now and i know today Sunday morning, there was this big push that basically uh, a lot of the CDC guys were on all the major news shows yelling at us and saying, look, as Americans, we're doing a poor job of taking this seriously. We seriously need to like hunker down and stay indoors for a week. So I hope that takes uh, more seriously and, and more nationwide than it has so far, it seems. Well, let's start right there with the yeah. movie industry in particular, because theaters are staying open with the exception of some closings in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Last I looked, I know AMC and Regal are now going at half capacity, but Mike, it, it all resulted in the total uh, lowest box office in 20 years since 2000. It's only going to make 54 to $56 million this weekend. God. 
it, it's a terrible situation for the movie industry at large. There was a uh, report yesterday from the Hollywood Reporter that said twenty billion dollar loss overall. Ugh. And you know, on the one hand, I kind of think that, and you were mentioning it before we recorded today too, that I, I think all right, if if there's only one coronavirus case in a uh, 100 mile radius of you and you go to the movies and you sit far away from people okay fine right. you know, live your life and who who are we to say that you got a social distance that much on the other hand like safer isn't is is better isn't it and shouldn't like movie theaters like, don't don't they make enough money aren't they comfortable enough to where they could just say all right well, let's shut down you know for a month we can handle it but the, the scary thing to me is i worry for movie theaters this much are they really in such dire straits that they can't shut down for two weeks to three weeks while at least the the craziest amount of paranoia is hitting yeah i'm for good you. reason i'm with you there i think the major chains kind of have that responsibility like amc I don't know their financials. I, I think they're the one that's owned by Mark Cuban, though. And obviously, like, they'll be fine if they take a two-week hiatus. The the ones that I keep thinking of when I think of a movie theater, the first thing I think of is the one, my little Poduck Independent one, down the hill here. And right. if they shut down for two weeks, I'm convinced they would not open their doors again. So, I, again, I, I don't know the answer. Like, yes, I think it is irresponsible for anyone to go see a movie in this day and age. But at the same time, if that's your livelihood and your business, I understand why, if that's your only source of revenue, why you can't afford to close your doors. But yet, at the same time, the industry is going to dictate what you do. I mean, look at the box office right now. Onward, $10.5 million, that kind of led. I still mm-hmm. believe $9.5 million, Bloodshot, 9.3. And then you're at The Invisible Man, The Hunt, which is going to get pushed again. Again, even though it kind of already had a rollout, it seems like they're going to delay it one more time. So I don't the, the, the studios are kind of making the decision for the theaters for them. They're not giving them anything new, which I think is the right call right now. Here's what I hope is about to happen. And, and here's what I hope has been happening. I hope that these theaters are just beholden in their contracts and their distribution to their distributors, essentially. I hope they've just been so beholden and contractually to exhibit these films that it's not a do-or-die situation for the theater that they need these two weeks of revenue to survive. I hope it's more of, well, I mean, we made a deal with The Hunt and Blumhouse and the distributors there. We made a deal with these guys to exhibit these things for this long. And if we back out of that deal, then that's almost like crossing a picket line or something. It's just such a business faux pas. They may never get the business back while these other you know the, these other entities are basically saying it's your job to showcase our films you know and, and you have to do it unless like the government shuts you down right yeah i mean that that's you know you're saying you hope that these studio or these uh theaters rather are being f- basically forced to show these new movies that they are showing as opposed to saying we have to do this in order to survive correct i, I think you know yeah i i guess i think no matter how you cut this, it's a very difficult situation. Obviously, I mean, I know I'm speaking in obvious terms right now, but I don't think there's an easy answer, and I personally don't know what the answer is. I know the, the theater down the hill for me, it's like a two-man operation. It's like if you and me owned a theater by ourselves <laughs> with no backing, right? So these guys need this for their livelihood, okay. but 
I, I, God, I just don't know how things like that survive if they're forced to shut down for even a week because of the just the the condition, the state of movies in theaters as they are right now. But it is a big opportunity for you would think other venues of entertainment, but even the other venues of entertainment are shut down right now. UFC just had its last fight, or what the people are at least assuming will be its last fight for a while the other night, Mike. Yeah, Lee Oliveira, I watched that whole card just about uh, on ESPN Plus uh, and then on ESPN to, to start. A lot of submissions. I'm not really here to talk about the fights. Uh, not really my kind of card. I like the big, you know, on the feet knockdowns. But mm-hmm. uh, in, in terms of the whole thing, it was eerie. Like, there's nobody in the stands. You can hear everybody saying everything. It was really weird. And then you had, like, people celebrating to nobody. Yeah. You had the... Uh, <laughs> You had the big announcers basically doing it for the fans, but it's almost like they're taking the same pauses that they usually take for the roar of the crowd. (laughs) It was very bizarre. But so UFC is trying to gain, they're trying to gain eyes on their product right now. Correct. I don't think they're, they're staying open for, uh, you know, for financial reasons, like they have to. Oh, no, no, no. Mike, you didn't see that. They're staying open because Trump begged Dana White not to cancel. That was a story, yeah. Donald Trump, uh, President Trump, made a personal phone call to Dana White and basically, at least from the reports, you know, kind of implored him to not shut down this card. So that was a personal request from the president, and Dana White is in tight with Donald Trump. And obviously Vince McMahon, they're kind of like that that three-headed triumvirate of entertainment. So uh, that's why UFC went on. I could give you an update about WrestleMania. I know the city of Tampa Bay basically looked to the WWE uh, over the weekend, this weekend right now, and said, if you don't do something about WrestleMania, we will. So Mm -hmm. that decision's probably coming out this week. But entertainment as we know it, I mean, it's stopped for the most part. The only question I have remaining, and that's interesting that WrestleMania, it's not a surprise that WrestleMania is going to stop. But the NFL is about to do its free agency, right? Mm-hmm. Its league year is about to start Wednesday, the tampering period, legal tampering periods like Monday. Basically, we're going to start hearing everything to, today when you're listening to this, tomorrow mm-hmm. when we're recording this on Monday, unless they bump it. Now, can they do all this remotely? Is it worth it to the NFL? Did, did the president talk to Commissioner Roger Goodell about this? What do you think about the NFL you know, trying to conduct business as usual over the phone or over Skype like we're doing now. Is it plausible for them? Is it worth it to them? It's It seems like it would be to me. Yeah, free agency to me seems like the thing you can do over the phone, right? I mean, I know there's all these stories about how these coaches, when free agency started at midnight in years past, these coaches would show up at these free agents' doorstep with, like, you know, a contract in one hand and a pizza in the other and trying to woo them in person. So maybe you don't have that happening when this tampering window opens. But I I have less of a problem with free agency opening because, to me, it's all phone calls to the agents anyway. So I think it's it, it is people practicing social distancing. You don't really need to be in person. The only thing that would probably be different is that the official press conferences where you have these guys holding up the jerseys, I would imagine, get held off for a couple uh, weeks, if not months. Will it be the last straw for you if it gets canceled? Because like I'm I'm at a point now where like I need something good to just hold on to. <laughs> and the, the movie's going down. Me not being able to go to the movies, Mike. I, mean, I know it is really hard. Like I- there's been. 
a hundred times where I'm like, well, let me just go see the hunt. I mean, <laughs> this guy's going to the movies. They're still reviewing it. I don't know if they're getting screeners. I doubt it at this time of year. I think basically, you know, people are still going to the movie theaters, our podcast friends. And I'm just like, but I can't put the people I love at right. risk. I can't bring myself to do it. I think I'm that's the right a- mindset. And I think this is all culminating in the perfect storm for you to retake up both video games and professional wrestling on the WWE network. So I couldn't well- be happier for what you're about to go through personally. Well, I did watch the three wrestling documentaries last right. week, and I did talk to a bunch of friends and relatives who were betting like crazy on the UFC fights yesterday, because there's nothing else there's to bet on. There's nothing out there. There's like a couple dog and pony races going on, but there's nothing. Rafael Esparza must be losing his wigwam right now, our <laughs> I friend. Didn't, I didn't watch it. He put a video up on Instagram. I don't know what he was talking about, because it was on mute, but I was watching. I'm like, what could you possibly be giving insight into? So I'm going to have to go check that out, see what he's doing to keep himself sane. I'm sure he's finding something. Like, who, when right. is Italy at this block <laughs> of time? When are they going to come out and sing their song? Uh, you know, you have, I mean, Donald Glover. Just dropped an album. I mean, can they start betting on when random artists will? <laughs> right. you know, Who's got the hidden album, album coming out next? Yeah, that could be the thing. The new. Uh, I've seen people. T- uh, I, one guy on Instagram. I don't know who it was. Maybe it was Lad Bible or one of those. They had the computer like playing a simulation in like Madden or a basketball, like 2K or something, and they were yeah. placing bets on it. Just watching the computer play itself. It's dark times for gamblers out there, Mike. I believe it, and to watch, uh, to listen to my father who was uh, betting on every single fight. Mike, he got every single fight correct except for one. He he picked all winners, and one fight was a draw. And because of how you have to rank them based mm-hmm. on the odds, mm-hmm. he only won thirty dollars. Well, that's bet. a win. That's a huge win for a hardcore gambler. So yeah, but he's never going to do better than that. Right, and he only won. He only doubled his money. Yeah, and he's yeah. just screwing around with fifteen bucks. But well, I've been there, Mike. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't that discourage you from betting ever again? A rational, like, insane <laughs> person. Yeah. God. But anyway, <laughs> Raphael had all this stuff on the Razzie Awards. They finally canceled yesterday. A lot of production companies have finally shut down all their productions, essentially. So, movie production, film, and TV production is done. Uh, I just wonder how far it's going to go. Like, are we going to be like France pretty soon with the closed restaurants and cafes? We we also saw uh, Disney Plus basically push Frozen 2 up. And the movie we have today was pushed up. Do you think more and more streaming services and TV channels are going to push up their programming, What the good stuff they had? I don't know why they wouldn't. And I would actually not be surprised to see streaming services someone like netflix like expand their reach if they want to get a piece of the nfl free agency and maybe have a show that they weren't planning on how like we could see that kind of expansion too but this is the streaming services the streaming industry's time to shine i didn't have hulu i bought hulu and we weren't going to do this episode uh i bought hulu for this episode to watch big time adolescence and i was clicking around and now hulu has another subscriber and i bought the bundle with disney plus which i wasn't going to do so they have another new subscriber in me and i was clicking around and i wouldn't have done that otherwise so this is a big opportunity for streaming services so why wouldn't they put their best stuff forward and move things up the schedule like you've been kind of pontificating they would the last couple weeks wow that's incredible i didn't think you would go for the full bundle yeah i was just gonna ask you that but that's i mean it's a smart move now you got all three service, right. services with espn plus disney plus and hulu what do you think have you have you done like the uh the canvassing of all three 
uh, search engines? Do you do you like what you see? Do you think that you're going to dive in a lot, or are you are you still looking at the you know other things around the house like your giant Blu-ray collection <laughs> or your uh, your your shutter? Are, are do you are you prioritizing, or does this you know titillate you? Well, the thing that takes priority number one is Parks and Rec. Uh, we all know that. But after I'm done and I watch like eight or nine episodes of that in a row, I, okay. I haven't I haven't clicked around Disney Plus yet. I was clicking around Hulu last night, and I can I'm like. Going to dive into Brooklyn Nine-Nine ASAP, I think. That's going to be my next oh, binge, so I'm very so excited. it's just enabling you. Right, yeah. It's do not doing me any favors. Right. <laughs> wow. Well, I, I was happy that uh, a big uh, – what's this movie called that we're doing right now? Big Time Adolescence. I'm very, I was very happy to get a good movie, and I was very happy to get a cool movie that I was really interested in seeing, like Agreed. you – you know, I wanted to get Hulu this week, and it was easy for me because I already had Disney Plus. I was not bundling, so it was like, all right, add a few bucks here or there. Yeah. Now I can get these other two services a few bucks a month. It's a great deal. Why wasn't I doing this all along? What I really take away though is that now I can't cancel Disney Plus while they while they're not giving me any good content, good new content anyway. So I, I mean, that's the hook, right? Disney Plus hasn't really done anything new. I know they just put on they put on Frozen Two. You said that they just put on Black Panther as well. I don't know if they moved that up the schedule, but that I just got the notification that they added that. So I think they're doing what they can. But Disney Plus is they got to get on it. I mean, they really only rolled out with the Mandalorian, which sold a lot of subscriptions. I know. Yes. But what What was the new stuff they had? Togo. Uh, the Lady in the Tramp movie, which was terribly reviewed. I mean, I think they only rolled out thinking that they had time to build their library, and they don't. And I don't know if HBO Max is planning on going forward with their rollout in May, like was always the case, and maybe they delay it because of this corona craziness, but or maybe they move it up, who knows. But once HBO Max comes on the scene, I think Disney Plus might be in a little trouble. I wonder the same things. Uh, that being said, I think they did well enough in their opening mm-hmm. that they're keeping basically all the kids... And they're, they're, they're keeping people with the Hulu deal and the ESPN Plus deal. And I look forward to the Marvel shows when they drop and the more the more Star Wars shows. It's just that the, those seem a little further out than I would suspect. So I wonder if they're going to take me to the brink where I'm like, all right, I'm done with these three. I've seen everything I want to see. Because, I mean, I, 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 I made my cues, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm happy with my cue, but I know how fast. I work through my cues, <laughs> and if I'm in a quarantine zone, I mean, Mike, I'm gonna watch everything so damn fast. Right. Like I'm gonna be done with Hulu by the end of next week, at the at the latest. No well, offense to Hulu. What have you been watching on Hulu? Has anything caught your eye? Well, I've been watching Pen Fifteen and Fuck That's Delicious right now. Okay. I, I kind of you know I watched this and that from those two shows, so I, I did a big deep dive into both of those last night. I was kind of going back and forth. That was fun. You know, I dove into this movie and I and I took like an hour, which was a lot of fun. And I basically looked through the whole library and, like I said, made up my cue. I did that with Disney Plus. I did that with Netflix yesterday. That was my day yesterday, along with this movie review that we're getting ready to start now. It's coming, Mike. It's coming. You're going to dive headlong into video games, and it's going to be like an addict just getting the first taste of something. It's going to be like a vegan having a burger for the first time in years. You're just going to dive right in, and I can't wait till you become obsessed. I want a burger now. (laughs) Anyway, you want to review this movie? Yeah, let's talk about Big Time Adolescence. This is the new movie that just dropped that was supposed to come out on the 20th on Hulu. Jason Orley is the writer and director of this, this Pete Davidson vehicle. Hulu moved it up a week, so it did come out on, I think, on the 13th or the 14th. It's one of the few days that it's been out already. Uh, But, Mike, what do we have on Big Time Adolescence to start the production profile? Yeah, I mean, it 
it did really well. 67 Metascore, uh, 87% on Rotten Tomatoes with 47 critical reviews. I just wanted to, you know, highlight a few of the cast members here. Griffin Gluck is from American Vandal, Lock and Key, and Tall Girl. He, it's 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 a big role for him. I thought yeah. he did a nice job. John Cryer has the same hairstyle that uh, John Travolta did once. You remember that John Travolta movie? <laughs> yes. Where he was bald with the goatee. I forget the name of the movie. I it's, cannot it remember it either, movie. but yes, I remember. Something about Paris. Uh, I mean, Something about Paris sticks out to me, but I'm not positive. I have never seen John Cryer shaved head like that, and I mean, from the 1980s, Two and a Half Men, it was bizarre to to see him with the Bruce Willis hairdo. I thought it was a great look. I think he should keep it. You liked it, all right? Yeah, so he looks I, tough. He did look tougher. I will give him that. But then again. <laughs> he fought in this movie which was hilarious but uh, I, I do think this is like the week of Una Lawrence like yeah. she was just in Lost Girls and she's Sophie in this movie I think she's having a hell of a week I, I guess, agree uh, if we had to pick winners of the uh, coronavirus quarantine right now <laughs> what a medal what a medal for her yeah, they'd hide that one in the closet. <laughs> but And then Machine Gun Kelly, who uh, I'd never seen act before, so he was in this. I hate that Pete David. I love Pete Davidson so much, and I hate that Pete Davidson is tight with Machine Gun Kelly. And I only say that because I'm such an Eminem stan from back in the day, and Machine Gun Kelly and Eminem got into their tiff that they did last year. And Pete huh. Davidson is so clearly on the side of against Eminem, and it just breaks my heart to have to choose between those two. So... And Machine Gun Kelly was good. He made me laugh, and I hated myself for laughing at it. I felt like I was betraying one of my, like, uncles. <laughs> this movie made you feel like you're betraying one of your uncles. <laughs> yes, correct. Choosing sides you. against the family. All right, wait. No, I'm trying to get down to the bottom of this because we're in a quarantine, and I'm a little bored. Yeah. So watching this movie reminded you of when you betrayed one of your No, uncles? no, no. It's like I've been with Eminem for so long. He's like part of my family. Yeah. I'm ride or right. die with him, but he's obviously not related to me, so I consider him an uncle. So it's like siding with your cousin against your uncle. It's like way, siding with my neighbor against my uncle. Yeah, some guy that's uh, not in the loop there. Trying to get unearth your your true attachments <laughs> to Machine Gun Kelly, uh, but he did a, he did a nice job yeah, in this was, movie. I thought good. he was funny. He had a couple jokes. Uh, let's get into some general thoughts and highlights. I guess uh, I thought this was a star making performance for Pete Davidson. I didn't think he had this in him. He's such a lovable loser character. He's so accessible. He is a shitbag, and yet, Michael, we are rooting for him so hard because he's so funny and so self-deprecating. He's like the, uh, I can't remember which show it's out of because I've only been watching Parks and Rec in the office, as always, but uh, the, that's something. He's like the something-something with a heart of gold, like the miserable janitor right. with a heart of gold. Yeah, that's what he is. He's a shitbag with a heart of gold in this. And, yeah, I'm with you. We said that this could be a star-making year for Pete Davidson, this, the King of Staten Island coming out, and I thought he was great in this. I wonder how much of a stretch it was for him to play because he seemed awfully comfortable in this role. And uh, I, that's not a slight to him. That's just the type of you know personality he exudes through his time on on any kind of interview or SNL or anything. But I'm with you. I was. I thought. I thought every performance in this was about as good as we could have hoped it to be. Right. Uh, and I, I agree with you on, on that. I thought the ensemble did a wonderful job. But I will say that I, I think in terms of Pete Davidson's persona, he's right on, like kind of on brand in yeah. a way. 
But in terms of like who he actually is, I mean, this guy is like a workaholic at age 23. Oh, yeah. Like if we had our shit together at age 23, like he does, we would be in such better shape right now <laughs> in all facets of life. Like this guy is 23 years old and he's and he's like a however many year veteran on SNL. He's probably done the circuits on the comedy on the stand up comedy. And now he's just starting his movie star career. Yeah. And it's and it's legitimately taking off. Off. He was, he was in a bunch of things as a, as, a, as a supporting cast member, and now he's got these two starring roles. It's going to be a big year for him. I, I thought he did a great job in that Netflix special. Again, winning us over, even though it was kind of both equal parts sad and funny. That when we reviewed it a couple weeks ago, I'm with you. And and as far as you know, something that's this type of movie, which may not get the, the eyes on it had it not been for this quarantine thing, I think it's a big win for him. He could be another winner of this corona outbreak. And and yet, I mean, 26 years old, we've been he's been in our life since he was 21 or 20 on SNL, and then he's been working his ass off at comedy clubs since he was a teenager. So, wow. I mean, yeah, it's got the work ethic of anybody else in Hollywood right now, and hopefully this is a big year for him, because like I said, as soon as I saw him for the first time on SNL, I was in love. Well, he is totally likable and lovable in this movie somehow yeah. because he's a terrible influence on this child. Yeah. But they they also give you good reasoning on why he's in this, you know, 16-year-old kid's life because I love the story here. I thought it was a endearing opening that older brother of your girlfriend who becomes your surrogate older brother and they continue to hang out after the you know the girlfriend and he broke breaks up the sister uh, I, I thought it was entertaining as hell i thought there's a real moral center to the end of it and yeah terrible shit terrible shit happens in this movie mm-hmm. but like they're they're doing that on purpose they're showing you what kind of the realistic take on what you know the the consequences of all these things the, I, I thought it was excellent the world building was fantastic and this movie did what lost girls didn't do and a lot of i mean a lot of good movies have these little scenes and these stingers at the end of scenes that just help with the world building like the one that's springing to mind right now is when uh you have uh mo in the baseball locker room talking about going to this party and then the mm-hmm. camera lingers on the other two baseball players who we don't see again for the rest of the movie and they're just taking dick slaps at one another like it's just this little stupid things like that that just they help the world building and they help the the authenticity of wow these are actually real people with real relationships i've been there i mean for the love of god the argument that zeke pete davidson's character has with the girlfriend at the beginning of the movie like she used to be fat she lost a bunch of weight and it's summer she looks good i just liked her picture on instagram and that's why they break up i've had that argument a billion times in my life It really was a funny movie, and you're right. Like the throwaway lines, the the, the anecdotes, the uh, stuff in the background, all that really works. I also think like this is a, a tribute to this screenwriter. This he is a uh, he is a former disciple of Nora Ephron. I think he was, a, which is shocking assistant. to me. But she's also great at genre filmmaking, right? right the rom com genre, and she those movies were funny, and I like them a little more than you, and I think. <laughs> should like them more than you do but i do think jason orley as the writer director here he actually shows some good tonal balancing abilities and as a director you're the composer you're directing the orchestra you're conducting the orchestra kind of thing like we see a lot of good comedies turn on a dime and just get super heavy super serious and you basically
basically tell yourself this is the dramatic part. But I thought this guy did a nice job mixing all of that, all the highs and lows with like precisely what you just said, all that stuff in the background that's still kind of funny or strange, and it, it just really worked for me. Yeah, I'm I'm as high on this movie, I think, as uh, as you are. We're kind of speaking the same thing here. I think this this didn't seem like a first time, a first feature film, uh, right, written or directed by Jason Orley. I'm, it's a very, very mature touch by him and a great job of genre blending. I totally agree. So do you have any more highlights or do you want to head into spoilers? Yeah, I kind of want to get into spoilers so we can be a little more specific about uh, what went down in this movie. So I guess this is a good time to us uh, to have the dance party and what yeah, better time we- to dance than in the quarantine, you know? But we both say watch this. And I kind of want to watch it again. Absolutely. Yeah. Spoilers ahead. This is a spoiler warning. Spoilers. 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 This is the spoiler section for the Mike, Mike, and Oscar review of Big Time Adolescence, the new Hulu movie that just came out from Jason Orley as part of our quarantine collection, I guess. That's what we're doing now, and that's the state of affairs that we find ourselves in. If you've seen the movie already, or if you've not seen the movie, I should say, hit pause on this episode. Go check it out on Hulu if you have to buy the subscription. What are you doing otherwise? You shouldn't go outside. It's dangerous out there. Stay in. Get Hulu. It's right there. It's at your fingertips. Subscribe to Hulu. Go watch the movie. We'll be waiting for you when you come back and hit play. If you've seen the movie already, if you just want to hear our thoughts or if we've hyped up the spoiler section for you so much in the non-spoiler section, this is where you want to be. All spoilers from here on out for Big Time Adolescence on Hulu. Michael, where are we starting? Let's start with some best scenes. I mean, there's a lot of them. I could have written down a whole bunch, but I'll give you some of my highlights. And In terms of the overall you know, best for me. I love the montage in this movie. And I thought you're a big montage guy. I I mean, it's pure cinema. I mean, when you're in film school that you kind of learn it that way, if you ever see one of my short films, it's just like all nothing but montage. (laughs) And I have like a, a sick fascination with it. And I love music videos back in the day. I I do. I love montage. And when a filmmaker can really showcase his abilities there or a movie like hustlers just kind of uses it as it's a main, you know, go-to storytelling device. I'm really happy. And this movie had some punchlines at the end of some montages. Like there's a one, two, three strike strikeout Mm -hmm. that the kid does on the baseball field that ends one of the early montages in the movie. I thought that was hilarious. Like you just had, have this whole thing where he's you know having this dance party and uh he's at the record store with him and then he in real life he's literally striking out i just i was laughing man yeah i'm i'm with you and i you know i i didn't even realize it was a montage i was watching until i uh talked to the montage master over here because you always like (laughs) pointing them out and you're always very good at it and they do add a lot to the cinema when done well and this one was no different this one totally added to it i actually just attributed that to world building like the one two three strikeout thing i understand the symbolism of 
of it. Like, yes, he's striking out in real life, and it's, this is the point of the movie where our main character is kind of following the wrong path and getting, you know, I, I, I get all that, but I, I just attributed that to world building, too. Like, why do we need to see that scene other than, we, I mean, we know he's dancing in the living room with Zeke. We know they're the type of friendship to do that. We don't actually have to see it, but yet Jason Orley lets the camera linger on it, and he lets the camera linger on the scene in the baseball field where he's hanging out so much with Zeke that he's letting his talents go to waste in real life, and I, I loved all of it. I'm with you. And I think they did a great job in terms of the characterization, you know, in that facet of the world building. Like you have his best friend or it's really not his best friend. It's like his best acquaintance. Fucking scumbag. Yeah. (laughs) It's the red haired kid from the Mick. Right. And this this kid is funny. And he's at the high school party and he's like, dude, we made it. Look at that girl. She's so fucking hot. He's like, wait, you mean your sister? So <laughs> then the sister turns around and actually heard him. And she's like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> it was hilarious. So there's all this effed up kind of humor in there too, which I was really happy about because I got a sick sense of humor in many ways. But you're basically giving this secondary tertiary character, right? Like this real social anxiety and to this, and you're putting him at the level to where he's going to turn on his friend later in the film. And that's great characterization. You're doing it within a joke early in the story to show that he's going to actually tell the cops on him later in the story. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. And this is goes back to one of the highlights I had too. It's the, there's like four or five different storylines that all revolve around the main one, but they all bleed into the main storyline going forward. And again, this is why I say it's a very mature touch and a very deft touch to do this. I really was surprised to learn that this was Orny's first feature length film that he wrote and never mind directed as well. But another one of the the side storylines is the relationship between Ruben, the John Cryer character, Moe's dad, the protagonist's father, John Cryer and Zeke. And I thought the chess match that John Cryer is trying to like, trying to, to, pinhole Zeke and Zeke is just not outwitting him but like he just truly doesn't give a shit enough to be involved in this tete-a-tete that John Cryer is trying to drag him into when John Cryer is at the car with Zeke and he's trying to pay Zeke off and trying to say incentivize Zeke to have spending time with Mo because there's a seven year age difference. Zeke's supposed to be like 23. Mo's like 16 in high school and John Cryer Mm -hmm. doesn't trust the relationship anyway so John Cryer is trying to say look I'm paying you money because spending time with my son for you is a job. And if you're going to be his mentor, you're going to be the reason he doesn't drink and doesn't do drugs and doesn't smoke. So I'm hoping to incentivize you to choose money over this budding friendship with a kid seven years your junior. And he's trying to like have that be a chess move to play against Zeke to maybe drive a wedge in the relationship between Zeke and Mo. And Zeke just automatically is like, yeah, can I have a raise if this is my job? Like he's just trying to, he just basically shoves it away. He doesn't pay any attention to the game, which which ultimately leads to what it leads to at the end of the movie where John Cryer punches out Zeke at his home. He's not above taking the dad's money right. at the end of, of that scene, but he's also he's also in, in a situation where he kind of half turns the father down, which is, again, it's just really smart writing. That's his way of turning the father down. But I, I love how it gets you know, kind of adult teenage relationships, right? And it certainly gets like surrogate older and younger brother relationships, right? Because you do have, you have to, you know, be honest with younger brothers or minions or whatever. Like Mm -hmm. you can't just, you know, just all the time make them into yes men. And, And the way they talk to each other, the way they talk to each other was, was real for lack of a better term. And then the way the, the son, 
you know, interacts with the father, he continually moves the line. And the father probably does the worst thing that he can do is he moves the line with the son. Like there's a line and the father keeps moving it and they show how it happens over time. They show how it happens with uh, Pete, Pete Davidson's character to the point where it comes like, all right, here's a, here's a new line I'm trying to create. Let me pay you to take care of my mm-hmm. son in that scene. And he basically just you know takes the buddy and he's like, yeah, this is bullshit. I love it. <laughs> I'm with you, yeah. But that was a great scene, like you mentioned, where John Cryer actually punches him in the face after all the shit goes down. Before that, you get a tremendous montage where I'm, I'm kind of cheering in my chair when I, when Pete Davidson is going to save this kid from the party after, you know, drag him out yeah. of the pool. I thought that was brilliant. The big climax. They have, and they have that heart to heart together afterwards that was so on point yeah. where Zeke does the heroic thing and he tells the kid, like, listen blame me mm-hmm. and he probably could face some kind of charge significant jail time yeah selling to a minor absolutely yeah so he is telling the kid there like all right blame me i'm here for you i want to make i mean that to me that won me over for pete davidson forever i know this is fiction but i am in a pete davidson's uh, <laughs> corner forever with a scene in a fictional movie this is why it's such a star making performance for him it's the power of cinema people no i'm with you I, I i can echo everything you just said and it was it comes at this crucial point too after both of these two characters this two-headed lead we have zeke and moe this conflict and, and clash of styles they go through their own crises and Zeke defaults to actually seeking out his ex-girlfriend's help and guidance and advice, who's Moe's older sister, who they have awkward interactions all movie long because the movie starts with them breaking up. And Zeke right. needs her to set him straight, essentially, and set him straight about Moe. And then you have Moe, who it's it's a trope that's in every coming-of-age film, but it's done so well, and it proves that some tropes aren't bad just because they're tropes. He finds this, this surrogate older brother, he looks up to him, he respects him, but... Zeke's lifestyle wears on him over time and he gets questioning and ultimately pissed off at Zeke because uh, because of the way Zeke lives and has this laissez-faire attitude towards everything. He has this come to Jesus moment where he realizes Zeke really is just a screw up, even though he has a heart of gold. He's still going to be like, this is just the life Zeke chooses to live and it's not the life I want to live. And I thought that was written so perfectly. You don't really see Zeke wear on, on uh, uh I can't think of the main character's name right now. Mo, excuse me, his lifestyle until they're in the car after the art museum and they run into that vagabond Nick or whoever who just jumps in the back of the car, throws the painting (laughs) in the back seat and wants to smoke up the car. And that was a funny scene, yeah. even though it was a scary scene. Like he's do again, he's doing a great job balancing tones, this director. What are you up to? to It's not really important right now. Yeah. But I, I agree. I think there's a lot of maturity to this story. And I really respect uh, Orly's vision here because if this movie were made in 1989 or 1997 or even 2004, right? Yeah. Like we've seen all these different evolutions of this genre. If we, if we saw this movie decades ago... In the 80s, number one, he would wind up with the Una Lawrence character, and it would right. be a fucked up yep. kind of situation where he gets the girl, and it's and it's wrong. 
And I loved how this movie, she is just like, no, I don't like you anymore. You're like, an asshole. Yeah, you why would to- I? You're a dick. Right. <laughs> yeah. Why would you try to kiss me there? Like, that's brilliant. And then you have the other situation where sex is thrown in between the older girlfriend, the 20-something girlfriend, Sidney Sweeney, Pete Davidson's ex, and the Gluck kid. And then he admits it to Pete Davidson's character who just risked life and limb. And what makes that scene all the more heroic is that, uh, you know what? I'm not going to let sex something that, I mean, it's important, but it's overall, it's trivial. We're not going to over dramatize that. That's what won me over for Pete Davidson's character. When he was like, he had the moment to choose between what anyone would do, which is flip out. You're my best friend. How could you sleep with my ex-girlfriend? We just broke up. And he's like, no, fuck it. I mean, I, I, you're my brother essentially. And I'm proud of you for doing what you like going through, what you've gone through overall. And I'm always going to love you. And I mean, that, I, that was a heartwarming moment. I thought totally. So to, yeah, to me, this would have been, uh, framed more like a bros before hose scene in like even 2009. Right. Mm. And that would have been wrong. That would have been still wrong. Yeah. But the way they put it here, it's just like there's more important things. Our friendship's more important. And it's still, it adds to the whole conflict. It's layers of conflict. And you get to understand Sidney Sweeney's character character throughout the movie because she's developed. You understand why she's doing what she's doing for a multitude of reasons. So that's a mature uh, portrayal. And then in this particular case... I just think it's it's just de-emphasizing the whole sexual aspect of it. Maybe it's you know technically illegal, I guess, because she's twenty something. Well, yeah, I mean that's 16. but that's the other thing they didn't. I mean, I thought it was tastefully done too. I don't want to see statutory rape played out like that one uh, Laura Dern movie we covered in one of the retrospective. Like we don't need to see it all the way through. I mean, you know, there was a lot of it shown here, but I, I you know, I, I thought it was. I didn't get disgusted, and I know it's a very subjective benchmark, but I was okay with it. I thought it fit the story, even though it's clear and clear. I mean, it's statutory rape. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of portraying it in a happy voice. I don't like. I regret my tone of voice for the last two <laughs> minutes. Now, when you put well, it there's in a the reason pool. for it, though, Mike. Like, okay. I mean, there's there's definitely a benchmark or a threshold where it becomes. Uh, too gratuitous or too illicit or the focus is on too much. I mean, the focus wasn't really on their age difference because we have this 16-year-old who's hanging out with this 23-year-old and this 23-year-old group the entire movie. So you kind of forget that he is where he is, except for that the whole crisis of this plays out in in between high school walls at the end of it. Yeah, so she's wrong in what she does, obviously. Very much. And the movie doesn't necessarily shy away from that. We kind of see what she's doing. Right. But the kid knows what she's doing, too. You're right. There's there's wrongs happening there. And I'm not saying that that shouldn't be in a movie, but maybe, you know, maybe the movie has a ways to go, too, just like every other movie (laughs) we're we're currently living now. But I I thought the, the final scene was appropriately awkward and appropriately ambiguous like you wonder if these two will be friends again because they can't help it you wonder if this kid will get his life together the pete davidson character you see the gluck character the mo character starting to to do what he's got to do oh i didn't and, i didn't read it as ambiguous i thought i thought uh mo was done with he's done with him yeah well i mean he literally left him in the rear view and then you see zeke pretty much admitting defeat and out of focus where he sits down and doesn't return to work I mean, that's that's kind of what the two characters are to me. I'm on one road and you're on the other. And if not figuratively, then in this scene, literally. 
Well, I mean, think about to all the folks. Like, I used to work at uh, Eddie Bauer in high school, and I was close with my manager mm-hmm. who was probably the same age. This reminds me of that. I remember when I went to college, I never saw that guy again. Right. And he was he was a good guy, and he, he was struggling in his life, but he was a, he was a really good guy. And, uh, yeah, that brings me back. I mean, that's a that's a true situation. That's, again, you know, the, this movie being a little more mature than I, I would have given it credit for on, on first glance or at least on the surface. Agree. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, the only other best I have, Mike, and you already touched on the technical aspect of it, I thought the framing and editing of this overall, outside of even the montages, was really good. There were some tricks pulled off. Like, very early in the movie, we see Zeke on his cell phone, and he's texting somebody, and it looks like he's just in his kitchen, but then the camera follows him out of the shot, and he's actually working in a department store and on his phone like that, which was in and of itself its own joke just because of the way the shot was set up. I thought that happened a couple times, and I was really impressed for a Hulu movie to look this well done and have jokes that were reliant just on the way the the scene was shot. I, I, I loved it. Well, I would love to do a Nora Ephron rewatch at some point, and then we can like uh, see what Jason Orley learned from her. Because uh-huh. I do. I wonder if these are tricks of the trade, or if this guy just has a real great handle well, on compositions. You do that and report back and let me know. <laughs> <laughs> like, tell me you don't want to watch Happy Stuff right now. Are you, are you getting to the point where... You, you're just going to throw away the, the contagion ideas and start watching like you've got mail. I have worked my entire life to prepare for this moment where everyone else is miserable and alone and quarantined. And I get so to see them all struggle. You'll love their company. Right. What you're saying. As misery personified, you'll love their company. Well, here's one final segment for you. Do you, do you have any worse? The only one I had. Uh, outside of the machine gun Kelly and getting mad at myself for laughing at what he does, and he was written very well, and I just resented that. The only one I have is that Mo was a little too suave for a high school kid, especially in the first party in the beginning of this movie. He's got so much swag and self-confidence. Like, he's hitting on girls naturally. He's he's getting threatened. Like, some kid jacks him up against the wall and is ready to beat him up, and he doesn't really flinch at all. Like, he cowers a little, but he doesn't. he's like this little scrawny, kid and to me it was like no 16 year old is that well-rounded and that sure of every aspect of his life at that point so hanging out with older kids would have helped him more in his school uh social life you you think and i I probably would agree with you yeah i mean i i understand and i'm sure that's how it was written like he's already around so many adults so he's going to be view he's going to have more of a even temperament than other high school kids who are more socially anxious but to me it just was a little too much and i know i mean this is a nitpick this is the only worst i have i think this movie is pretty well done overall but to me it was you know especially that first party i i was a little uh eh, that's unrealistic he wouldn't step in it as hard as he does. Right. So, yeah, I could see that. Uh, to me, the biggest worst of the movie is the baseball. Like, it's unforgivably <laughs> terrible. Like, that kid, number one, would never have made the team. I don't care. There's no high That's school true. baseball team. That's in the, true. And I've seen, some, I've seen some of the worst high school baseball teams in our state. You know, I've, I've umpired some of their games because I do that throughout the summers. And there's nobody as bad as this kid, like, closing his eyes and taking that weak swing. That's true. He wouldn't make the team, yeah. number one. Number two – when you get into the batter's box the first time, that is supposed to establish your strike zone. strike zone. I thought I had that same thought. Never mind. Two of those pitches, even with his, his slumped down new batting stance where he's trying to get the walk, two of those pitches they filmed were still strikes. 
Yeah, I'm calling those strikes all day, every day of the week. Otherwise, I'm there for three hours a night. There's right. no way. Those are strikes. But also, I'm probably widening the strike zone as out of belligerence or just being <laughs> aggravated that that guy's trying to duck down. And, uh, you know, you got to be really subtle with that to get me on it or to get most umpires because they understand that. You can't just be that drastic and change it. And then, Mike, when he actually gets walked on, on four balls – he walks literally to first base. Can you imagine? Like, he would have gotten thrown at. Like, people would have been yelling at him. He actually walks to first base. The coach would have yanked him right then and there. Most likely, yes. That never would be permitted. You get walked and you actually walk to first base. Number one, it would have taken forever and you would have drawn so much attention to yourself. But your coach would have pulled you. Yeah, well, yeah, and then you would have gotten beamed the next time you're up at bat, like you said. So, yeah, that's a, that's a little ridiculous. I agree. It's ridiculous. So the baseball was terrible for me. You got you. So you just had the one. That's worst it. Yeah. Good. I mean, I, I, I. That's all I could come up with. I really enjoyed this movie overall. Yeah, me too. So let's uh, let's finish it up then. We got final grades. Uh, I'm a B plus eighty seven. I think this was definitely worth the uh, extra dollars a month on the Disney Plus bundle. I'm I'm really excited about Hulu and their original movies and and what they've been buying at all these film festivals because I didn't just do this for this movie. I'm looking forward to Palm Springs and some of the others that they bought. And I I think this is a B-plus 87. I'm really happy with it. I'm I'm 85 hard B all day. This is probably like a quarantine 88, 89 B-plus for me (laughs) because this is a a pleasant surprise. And if you're running out of options to watch, I mean, you got this brand new movie that is extremely well done, especially for this time of year, especially for, I mean, this. I don't mean this to be disparaging, but especially for Hulu, which we haven't seen this kind of professionalism from them previously as far as an original film goes. So uh, great job all around, yeah. I'm excited, too, because it kind of confirms some Sundance buzz, which makes yeah. me want to buy a few more Sundance movies or, you know, get my hands on a few more Sundance movies that we missed in the middle of January there while we're doing all our Oscar things. So this is a good uh, vote of confidence for Sundance as well. Yeah, agree all around. And obviously, as always, we want to hear from you guys. Have you watched this movie? Uh, if you have, what did you think overall? Were you pleasantly surprised like both Mike and I seem to be here? As always, you can leave us those thoughts, comments, questions, concerns. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, at MM and Oscar on Twitter. And believe you, me, you're quarantined. You're on social media. We're quarantined. We're on social media. You should talk to us because we're dying to talk back because we're losing our minds. Uh, we can also find us at Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts. And likely right now, you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts. And if you are, if you wouldn't mind taking 10 seconds out of your day giving us a five star review, we would really, really appreciate that. Michael, what is coming next from us? And what are some words of wisdom? Well, we got MMOW, and we're going to do that for the middle of the week, mm-hmm. so that'll be a fun little uh, excursion into all the stuff we're watching, into a bunch of movie trailers. We got some happy news, like Scream 5, and, and we got some fun stuff to talk about as well. Look, I mean, we're, we're basically doing uh, breaking news in every episode right now with kind of this mini-series, but we'll have, we'll have episodes for that uh, if anything more breaks, and we'll do our news of the week in MMOW. 
have you. Uh, what I'm looking forward to, we kind of just decided at the at the beginning of the pre-show today, is that we're going to get an Apple Plus trial and we're going to review The Banker at the end of next week, which we had a great trailer. I know it's gotten middling reviews, so we'll kind of do a cursory look at Apple Plus next. Yeah, uh, excited to see that. Uh, I'm sure the words of wisdom are be safe, wash your hands, and stay yes. indoors. Thank you. So. Yes, all of that. And, you know, if you got a nervous eat, like, let yourself eat nervously. <laughs> I just worry about a food shortage at some point. Like, that's my biggest worry. Oh, like, wait, if no, I can't wait. get As Americans, sandwich. we're too fat. We can't do that. That won't happen. Right? Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't, that's when everybody loses their wigwams. When <laughs> I can't get, I can't buy three sandwiches to eat throughout the rest of my day at 2 p.m. Like, what happens then? <laughs> shudder, shudder. Perish the thought. Shudder to think about such a reality. <laughs> yeah, guys, look, when reality sucks, it kind of does right now. So you can watch these movies and listen along with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season and sandwiches year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you very soon. See you.